Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionizing the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by the gorgeous Victoria Vanstone, author, mum, and all-round epic person. Hey, Vic, how are you going? Thanks. How are you? I'm really good. I read your article this morning that was published for Hello Sunday Morning, and I loved it. It was so honest, and I loved how you talked about being a mum and feeling at some stages like you were losing yourself as a mum and using alcohol as an antidote to that. Um, So I'll put links to that story in the show notes, but can you tell us a little bit about your journey with alcohol? Yes, so I started drinking at probably quite a young age. I think I was about 12 years old. I was always interested in alcohol because I saw family and friends always, you know, it, it sort of enhanced their evenings. You know, I always sort of looked up to my to my cousins and aunties and uncles as they sort of flung around the dance floor at my parents' house. And I noticed mm-hmm. that drink was always part of that. And I think I I wanted I wanted it. So from a very young age I was always kind of planning my my drinking life. I think even from even younger than that I was always wanting to drink and then it got to an age where I was I realized that I could steal a few bottles out of the garage and get away with it. So probably from about 12, I started doing that. And then it progressed to my teens where 
I think there's a lot of self-awareness in in the teen years and everybody's doing the same there's peer pressure so I think I was the one giving the peer pressure to be honest I don't think I was the follower (laughs) as much as I probably should have been I was the one you know getting the bottle and and sort of making my friends have a swig so I'm not very proud of that but hey that's just who I am (laughs) um yeah and it just went on from there so as a teenager I was binge drinking passing out in parks snogging boys and probably doing a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing which led to a bit of recreational drug use of course one thing generally tends to lead to another Um, and I became this sort of party persona whereas I was the one you came to for a good night out I was a reliable drinking buddy I was just a good time girl, really. Um, And that led up into my 20s where I started to go to clubs and raves and parties. And I was growing up in a time of a ladette culture in England where there was kind of this renaissance of feminist women who were trying to go against the grain by kind of acting like men. And the only way that I really knew how to act like a man was to sort of drink them under the table. Mm. So I was trying to be a lad and trying to be part of the crowd, always kind of people pleasing and always trying to fit in the best I could. And the only way I really knew how to do that was to, to drink heavily. I thought it sort of made me who I am. It it added something to my personality, but in the end it, it it started to get out of control. Um, there was a lot of things that happened, a lot of injuries um i'm a i'm a digit short than most i blew my finger off with a firework in in thailand on the millennium night when i was drunk what <laughs> so, yeah, we got like nine and a half fingers i mean there were lots of things like that i was a crazy drinker you know i was wow. i was the one who was you know climbing out of windows onto roofs of cars and just really loony i mean i thought wow. it was really fun to wake up the next day and laugh but I mean, it's only sobriety that sort of teaches you that you were absolutely probably completely off the rails. But I'd had, I was done for drink driving when I was 19, ended up in a prison cell for a night. Lots of, lots of a, a culmination of many, many wake-up calls that yeah. I ignored because drinking was so ingrained in me that I just thought those things were part were, were kind of funny stories that added to, to me as a person. I realise now they're not that funny, but... Yes. So then into my thirties, I carried on that persona just because then it became who I was. And then at 34, I met my husband who we did drink together and we, I continued my behavior. But when I got pregnant, I, I stopped drinking that day when I did my pregnancy tests. Uh, I I always knew I wanted children and I always knew that perhaps I'd have to stop drinking at some point um, to, to, to actually be pregnant, of course. And so I stopped that day and I had, a, I had a window of sobriety for nine months, which I'd never had throughout my, my whole life. I mean, I wasn't drinking every day. It never got to the point where I was in a gutter with a bottle of Jack Daniels. I was never passed out. Well, I'll say never. I was never in a gutter with a bottle of Jack Daniels, but I was probably a lot of other places passed out with yeah. different bottles of food. But hey, <laughs> I... You, can, you kind of get the picture of where I was at. I was a binge drinker, a party girl who became a mother and got pregnant and became a mother and, and had, to, had to assess where I was at with my drinking. I mean, I carried on after I had my first child, but that's when questions started to come up for me. Wow, that is quite a story. So, well, let me go back. Firstly, losing the finger. I mean, do you wake up the next day and are you, are you attributing that to alcohol? I didn't at the time attribute to alcohol. I mean, I, I was lighting a fireworks. 
So I knew, I mean, I was in a blackout at that stage. So what, what, what kind of, it was the millennium night. So, I mean, I'd had a lot to drink somewhere. I'd found a bottle of red wine on a, it was in Thailand on a beach. I don't know why I was drinking red wine or something, but anyway, I'd found a bottle of red wine. I was like a chicken schnitzel rolling around in the sand, (laughs) um, covered in sand. And the, the thing that took me out of my blackout was the explosion. So obviously I'd got a firework from somewhere and I had a lighter in my pocket and I lit it and it blew up and it blew my finger straight off. Ah. And I remember looking down in a moment of clarity and going, right, I've blown my finger off. I need to, I need to get help. So, I mean, I was still really drunk, but I think definitely there was a moment where I came to and thought, oh my God, what have you done? And of course I had to call my parents and I'd just gone traveling for a year and I had to fly to Australia and go and get, get help and get skin grafts and all sorts of things. But I never, at any stage, I never thought, oh, maybe I should slow down. I mean, that's how ingrained I was, was things like this would happen to me, but I never could it ever in a million years imagined maybe I should stop drinking. It just wasn't on my radar. Wow, God, I can so relate to that. Um, I've got to say that your wild absolutely outwilds my wild, <laughs> like you were a wild woman. But, you know, looking back and in hindsight, I can see in myself looking back, possibly the need for this wild outlandish behavior is trying, trying to cover up some kind of self-esteem issues. Do you see yourself and your, your past behavior is also maybe trying to mask some kind of deeper issues within yourself? Absolutely. So when, when I decided to look back and when I decided to address my drinking eventually in my nearly forties, I, I got therapy and a few things came up that I had never really considered before. Um, I really am a true believer that there is always a reason why you are that way inclined. And I, I discovered that things had happened to me, smaller things. There was a couple of bullying incidences at school that had caused me to be a people pleaser, that had caused me to always be someone who wanted to be the, the one that made everybody else happy. So it, it's, in, it's, in my, it's in my genes to want to make people laugh. Mm. Yet at the same time, that in itself is a huge social responsibility for me. Even mm. now when I'm sober, I still find those anxieties rising up within me so i i'm guessing that my drinking had something to do with perhaps me being more of an introvert than an extrovert um i think i was pretending to be an extrovert whereas in fact it was the alcohol that was making me act out so i think there is something there and it took me a long time to realize that me trying to make sure everybody else is having a good time made me lose my respect for myself oh my god yes I just want to reach to the screen and kiss you right now because I can totally relate. Always say that binge drinkers are often extroverted introverts and that's often born from a need to people please. I'm exactly the same and still am. So every day trying to weigh that up, doing like trying to do things because I want to do it rather than just trying to keep people happy, going out of my way for people often or being overly generous And what is that coming from? And I guess it stems, you know, often it can be to our detriment, but also there has to be some boundaries there. And that's one thing with alcohol, you lose those boundaries. So I guess sobriety helps you build those boundaries and 
control or rein in that people-pleasing side of us. I never had any boundaries. Uh, it, it led to promiscuity and dangerous, many, many dangerous situations where yeah. I, 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 it, I think Glennon Doyle in her book, Untamed, uh, calls it abandoning herself. Yeah. Is, it, that really struck a chord with me. Um, I definitely abandoned myself every Friday and Saturday night. I didn't realise that I, I mattered um, and yes. it took me many, many years to realize, actually, actually, I matter. M- m- not everybody else is affected by how I am because I was so preconceived with making everybody else happy. I had forgotten, which is, you know, I, I agree with you. It's a nice trait to have. There's a lot of love behind that. Mm. But, but at the same time, it meant that I abandoned myself and I abandoned my safety a lot of the time and put myself at risk and, and yeah, my promiscuity and, and acting out meant that I was left on a Sunday or, or with a hangover feeling feeling empty and feeling like, well, what, what have I done to myself? And why am I doing to this self? And, and, and the hangover was just a hangover of questions and shame and which led to, you know, which led to anxiety. But I definitely mm. agree. Like it's a lovely trait to have to care about what other people think and what other people want and, and to make people laugh. But that was a huge responsibility upon my shoulders. I realize now that I didn't realize that's what it was until I stopped drinking. Oh my God, you're so right. I mean, there's so many people that want to quit alcohol that I speak to all the time, yet they're still so attached to the idea of it, yet still waking up. They're riddled with anxiety and that terrible feeling of having, yeah, completely abandoned themselves the night before. It's, it's truly sad. Yeah, it's the problem with uh, modern day drinking culture, really. Everything mm. is pushing us in that direction. Everything we see and absorb. I mean, it started with family and friends, then it was a Ladette culture, and then it was the environment that I placed myself in the center of. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just just one thing. It was everything around me was pushing me towards a drink. I don't think I actually had a chance of being another way. I was destined to be a heavy binge drinker from the moment I was born pretty much which Mm. you know which is sad really and I think that's why a lot of people feel they can't you can't see outside of that Um, and that's just the way that society is kind of channeling us at the moment Um, things are changing I think but yeah there is definitely a, a need for a different culture a healthier culture to exist within within our society now. Absolutely. And just going back to that abandonment of self, uh, reading in the article where you said that you were hiding in the cupboard, drinking, hiding away from the kids and that you're missing that party girl and not recognizing yourself anymore. But really looking back, was that even who you truly were anyway? Yeah, it's strange because, yeah, that's, that's the only person I've known my entire life is that party girl, is that me. So when I had children, I found myself being at home all the time. Like I've gone from being this hedonistic loony, being out in the pub and the club and just being, you know, the one dancing on the speakers to suddenly being at home with a baby with, you know, surrounded by vomit and poo and nappies and <laughs> things that I've never even experienced before, apart from the vomit, obviously. <laughs> I've experienced Oh, vomit. And I mean, I've shat myself at a music festival once. I was so drunk. Oh. The things that we do. Oh, it's like, fucked no up. No wonder we woke up with shame and embarrassment. Like imagine doing that sober. Well, you wouldn't. That's the thing. I mean, I talk about this on the podcast all the time. It's like, would we have done or are we? would we have even contemplated doing a lot of these things 
if we weren't drunk, if alcohol wasn't in the equation. So at some point we have to start blaming alcohol and seeing it for what it really is. That's the abandoning yourself, I suppose, right there. And then you had got to abandon your underwear afterwards, unfortunately. <laughs> totally. Oh, my God. So take us back um, to where you decided that enough was enough and that you knew that it was time to make a change because it seems to me as though you were quite identified to that person that you thought you were. Yes, so it's it was the, the pregnancy. I, I enjoyed having that excuse going out. Mm. I mean, I was still going out when I was pregnant and I wasn't drinking and I was enjoying that. I was finding that I could socialize and I could be almost the same person, incredibly enough. Mm. I didn't change that much. I mean, yeah. the blackout stages probably were, you know, me stumbling around and slurring like an idiot a bit later on in the night. But those moments where everyone else was getting a bit tipsy, I was enjoying that time sober. And I realized, mm. oh, actually... I can do this. This is actually nice. And I'm going home and I'm remembering the next day. And this is all quite nice. But when the baby was born six weeks later, I, 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 as I said, I was at home with all of these crazy things going on that I'd never experienced before. And I found the pressure of motherhood, you know, I found it quite boring. I Mm. had gone from being a party girl to being a stay at home mum, And I found that whole process really kind of it made me um uncomfortable i didn't know who i was i thought I'd, i'm not a boring person I, i'm a fun person like what what is this so it was mm. quite a shock and then obviously i hadn't drunk for quite a long time nine months and six weeks before i went out again and i went doubly hard because i felt i'd built up this sort of pressure this pressure cooker and i needed to release and I went doubly hard, got more drunk than everyone else. You know, it was started off as a lovely cheese and wine evening and ended up with me vomiting can and bear into, a, into someone's toilet. So like, <laughs> I mean, I just, and then that continued. The, the weeks would pass and I'd be a good mom and I'd do everything right. And then the build up would happen and I'd feel, God, I'm being boring. I'm staying in and I've, all I've got is this baby and who am I? And it would all build up again and I'd go out again and it would happen again. I'd be drunk drunker than everybody else and you know Mm. grinding a lamppost at a taxi rank before you know before bed so it just went on and on it just went on and on and then I got pregnant again unbelievably because I was still drinking heavily every weekend but I got pregnant again I promised myself that I wouldn't do this then six weeks after the baby was born so I had a a four-year-old and a newborn and I did it again And the questions had been coming up in those years. There'd been four years where every time I drank, I realized that those worlds weren't working. Mm -hmm. The the baby world and the crazy Vicky world were colliding massively. And I, that was causing anxiety each Sunday morning. Every time I was hungover, I was like, I need to learn how to mother and I need to learn how to drink because otherwise I don't know who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. So that was really causing some mental, you know, it was causing some mental problems. It it was causing some unbalance in my brain, basically. Mm, I know that mm. sounds far-fetched, but alcohol um, combined with me being a little bit lost, to be honest, was causing major, major anxiety and self-doubt the following day. And I I just carried on because then I tried dry July, sober October, you know, water between wines. I tried everything to to try and combine my, my two worlds, but... Unfortunately, they were not compatible. Well, I say unfortunately, I actually mean fortunately. Six weeks after the second baby was born, I went out, got hugely pissed and woke up the next morning and just thought, I just can't do this anymore. 
I can't do this to myself. I can't do this to my children or my husband. I mean, that was all I cared about. I mean, and I started to forget about the friends and the family and who I needed to impress. I started to realize this is what's important to me and alcohol is not working anymore. Oh, totally. I remember going through that exact same thing myself and not remember putting the kids to bed and not being present for the kids the next day and wanting better for my family and for my marriage and everything like that. So, but part of the problem with it is this identity that you've created for yourself, particularly with us, with Ash, you know, and with us being in the music industry, it comes along with this persona of being, you know, kind of rock and roll in inverted commas and being trash bags. And that's what we created for ourselves and and this big party persona. Um, So, and I imagine that you had a similar thing, like you identified and you have this big personality. So how did you deal with that, with the changing of the identity and how did your friends cope with it? It took me, honestly, I I actually ended up getting therapy for those, the questions that had come up during during those months and years of, of me still drinking and being parenting, mm. I had to go and get therapy and I, I had to try and reconnect mm. with everybody. I mean, I have to be honest with you, Danny, when I say I still find that very, very hard. Right. I, sobriety isn't all about, you know, unicorns and rainbows I think sometimes, especially people like you and I who have used alcohol in a social way for so many years, I still find I'm trying to be that person who I was mm. um, without alcohol. So I'm, I'm probably doing it now. Like I try and still be that people please. I still try and be funny, which I do enjoy doing. But then there's a little part of me that wants to step out of that. I remember when I did have therapy, one of the mm. visualizations we did was there being a, a, a merry-go-round and every bit, everybody being on it, you know, everybody drinking, you being on it and spinning round and round and round. And I remember my therapist saying, Vicky, just step off it for a minute. Just step off the merry-go-round and observe and look, look at it and look what's going on, watch it spin. And I remember stepping off it and imagining myself stepping off it and looking at the chaos and going, oh my God, like this feels amazing. I remember just feeling suddenly so relaxed. And that's what it is for me. I think I will learn socially how to adapt and how to be the person that I'm becoming still. Um, but for me, it's about stepping out of the chaos and being able to look on and knowing that I'm in a better, a better place. And mm. that's what keeps me on track. But the social thing is still hard for me. I try to, to present myself in a way that's fun and outgoing, whereas in my head, I'm dealing with anxiety and I'm dealing with who I was and who I am and still, try, still trying to combine the two. And I do find that very hard. How long have you been sober for? I didn't ask you that at the start. I'll be a thousand days on the fifteenth of December. A thousand days—that's um, two and a half is, years, right? Two yeah. years and yeah, eight months, something like that. Yeah. Have you ever considered not trying to keep up with the person who you thought you were? I 
I I have to sit with that one. I mean, I sit and I I have to try and breathe through my anxiety and to just say, remember, remember, Vicky, you're not responsible for everybody else having a good time. And mm-hmm. I have to sit with it and I have to remind myself of it. It's not something that comes naturally to me yet. So I'm hoping that that will something that will change over time. I think often there's this preconception that sobriety is is all wonderful all the time. I mean, people relapse for reasons. I mean, there are, it is confronting. It is confronting being, being this person when all I've known for 26 years is a drunk version of myself. So, mm. so I do find those sorts of things hard, but it's something I'm getting used to. And I know it's better. That, I think that's what I concentrate on, which is why I don't reach for a drink. I know I'm better and I know that my life is better without alcohol. So if I focus on that, then I can get through. I mean, I still have a good time. I managed to have a good time, but I find like I've sort of got a smile plastered on my face going, yes, everything's okay. And because I run a sober social group up here on the sunny coast. So I kind of have a responsibility to be that person, to be the one who's like, come on, everybody, this is going to be okay. So I do... I, I sort of do that to my own detriment occasionally. So I just have to make sure I, I have, I don't abandon myself even in sobriety. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just becoming comfortable with yourself as well. I mean, like I went to a party on the weekend and I probably knew two of the people. So before when I was drinking, I probably would have been nervous and drank way too much and, you know, made been quite the, the spectacle at the party. Um, you know, going in there sober, like I said, I knew two people. I rocked up armed with my non-alcoholic drinks and I just tend to sit at the party and let people come to me and I talk really comfortably. I'm really grounded. I'm not carrying on like a dick. And then when it's time for me to go, I just go. Like I don't try and force myself to stay there or I don't force myself to be in a situation. And in all honesty, I think looking back, I never really was happy with being that really loud person and I definitely know that that was trying to cover something up within myself a deficit that I had going on and I think I always wanted to be a a more grounded type of person so actually sobriety has given me a chance to do that and become comfortable with being that that kind of person and I think over time you'll get there as well yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it now, which is something I haven't been. And I think my, I've kept my sobriety quite secret until I started like blogging about it. Mm. Um, so even though I've been sober for two and a half years, I really only started telling people about a year ago what, I, what the sort of journey that I'd been on. So I think I'm a bit delayed in that respect. I mean, I, I do feel like there is maybe some therapy still, still in need for me to learn who I am and where I'm stuck between this in this in this sort of I call it like a Pinot Gris purgatory where (laughs) I don't know who I am beyond the drink even though I'm happy with myself and happy as as a generally as a person I'm still getting to know me I'm I'm reacquainting myself with the person I am yeah the person I was before I I started drinking I think which is which is going to take a while. Oh God, you know, I'm almost jealous. You know, you've got all this self-discovery that's yet to unfold and it can be such an amazing and empowering time. Um, the journaling and the gratitudes and, and all this stuff you have to learn about yourself. And I think it's such a beautiful time and this time of growth and the opposite to growth is atrophy. And that's what we don't want as humans. We don't want to, we don't want our souls or any part of us to atrophy. We want to keep growing. So just, you know, keep that going. Um, you're writing a book. So is the book delving into that kind of thing? 
Yes. So in the book, it's more about, it's about all of those things about becoming a mother and losing myself to motherhood. Um, it's a funny book. Um, so again, probably people pleasing a bit much, but <laughs> I don't know any other way. So yeah, it's a funny book and I hope that my story can inspire other mums. And it's about me learning who I am and, and how therapy, how I truly believe that the only way you can stop drinking is, is to get outside help. I don't know how you got sober, Danny. What, what was your... Oh, well, we, no, we didn't get any outside help. Um, really, no, we didn't. We had each other. So we had a group, we had a WhatsApp group with the people that um, we made our pact with to take our initial 12 months off with. So I guess we had each other's back. But the big thing that we learned early on, because it was a bit of a struggle in the first few months, so I thought, no, this is no good. So I started to, we started to bring in daily habits. So it was all about the input. So um, listening to really good stuff. I listened to loads of Wayne Dyer and I would talk about Wayne all the time on the podcast. And funny, I had this woman message me recently. She was asking about Wayne. She hadn't heard of him before. And she's like, what a funny name for a, like a spiritual guru, Wayne. But Wayne is was amazing for me. And we all had our own different guru, I guess, if you'd call them that. And then just daily habits, visualization, all this stuff that we did, which I've actually ended up putting into this playbook that I've released, um, made it kind of easy. Like just keeping the input going, keeping it positive, keeping a light heart, knowing that you're giving yourself something, that you're not giving anything up and seeing alcohol for what it really is. That's one of the key things as well, like seeing how fucking shit it actually is, how it makes you behave and how much better life can be without it. And how life would look, I guess, at, you know, if you don't give it up, especially when you're on this downward trajectory, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I think that was how we went about it. So, it's been a it's it's been a big journey, and but really just a positive one. So, yeah, it was it was actually it's been great, and I think that's why when we got to the end of the twelve months, it was kind of a no brainer to keep going because it was so enjoyable. Uh, there was definitely hard times. There were times, definitely wobbly times as well. But because of the practices we'd taken on, it made those hard times, you know, fairly easy. I didn't realise that there was all, I, I felt like when I, when I thought, when I had that day when I was stood in a kitchen with my husband after that terrible hangover and I said to him, look, I, I think I need help because I was failing at everything. You know, I tried everything and I, I couldn't stop drinking, which is really when I realized I had a problem. I think uh, after I got therapy, there was a, t- a period where I didn't realize there were so many people out there like me. I, d- yeah. I thought I was the only mum that had stopped her time for wine and I felt really, really alone. And only when I sort of started to look online did I discover this whole incredible world of of the sober curious I didn't know yeah. that, that term I, I was actually in the library in the Sunshine Coast and I'd asked you know I snuck up to the lady and sneakily asked for you know do you have any sort of quitlet uh, <laughs> I don't know why it's embarrassing but I don't know <laughs> I don't want people to think I'm like that that person but hey yeah. I and she handed me the Ruby Warrington book, Sober Curious, and I hadn't heard that term before. I mean, that was about 18 months ago now, and since then, this whole world has opened up to me, which I find fascinating. The podcasts, the groups, the, you know, the Facebook pages, everything, I definitely find it's a combination of things. I did get help with therapy, but like 
everything else on top of that. Like even my own, like I've made an Instagram feed which is just for sobriety. It's, it's separate from my, my 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 real one, and that is just brilliant. Just to go in and flip through and just get a few quotes if I'm feeling a bit wobbly or anything. I mean, yeah. I didn't know there was so much out there. I didn't know there were so many mums that were so fed up with wine culture. I thought everyone was just on it and that was the end of it but there's millions of people out there who are exactly like me oh absolutely like there is that's one thing you realize when you start and you go down into this journey and you especially with the online community there's so many people there supporting like complete strangers like I know myself I've seen watching people on their journey and then they're like oh back to day one or whatever and everyone's just rallying around them no one's judging them everyone's just going come on you've got this and I wouldn't have a I wouldn't know if that person was if I fell over them, but I yet I feel this connection to them. And, I mean, that is part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place is so that people feel like it is okay to have an open and honest conversation. Like what you were just saying earlier, I thought that was really beautiful how you were saying there's some things you still struggle with and that's okay. And people at different times you will struggle or at different times you'll feel wobbly and everyone's journey is so different. Like, completely different like one person might be struggling with drinking every day another person might be struggling with drinking too much on you know once a month but everyone's so different but if we can just keep the conversation flowing and open and be available to people and be there to help and support one another I think things can start changing and we can start to change that culture Um, but there is a definite sense of community it's about making a sense of of community as well it is about that human connection. Like on my website, I do a blog. But I also have like loads of information for sober curious people on there. And when people read my blog, especially there's one on there called making friends sober, which is just exactly what about what we're talking about. And I think it's had like 2,500 reads or something. Wow. And I get people messaging me every day from all over the world. And I know it's, it's a bit self-indulgent to be continued, continue continually tell this story but I'm doing it because I really truly believe it will help people and those emails I know I feel self-conscious sometimes and I do get anxiety and I do feel weird talking about my drinking in the way that I am being so like vomiting I'm still I'm still vomiting I'm just vomiting myself over everybody (laughs) and I do feel self-conscious about that but then I get emails from most strangest places from the most incredible people saying I've read your blog you're inspiring me to question my drinking to start off with and to some people saying you know I've joined a group I've joined AA your story makes me realize that I'm not alone and that's really what it's all about it's about having those connections with people and helping people understand that sobriety is actually a possibility for everybody and it is fun and it's not life without alcohol is better and it would just be nice if more people could experience that even if it was just for a year just to go look there is another way of doing things yeah. you don't have to be drunk you don't have to have hangovers and you can just live your life and feel joy and connection and have real conversations and just be free from all that rubbish absolutely yeah that's what it's all about isn't it and that's why we do it and I just every time I get a message from someone saying that you've inspired me I'm on day 10 or I've just binged your podcast for the last you know however long and now I'm going to make a change or I'm starting next month or whatever it is just to be that inspiration for someone is great and we're always encouraging people to reach out or just let us know how you're going sometimes it's nice just to get um, you know we always message everyone back 
um, just to get a little bit of a well done, you know, because everyone needs that encouragement, I guess. So also for you, Vic, um, if someone wanted to reach out to you, what is your Instagram handle? So the Instagram is at Drunk Mummy Sober Mummy. And the social group that we run, we have a Facebook group as well, which anyone's welcome to join. We run events every two weeks. Um, So that's called the Sober Social for Sober Curious Women. It's for women only um, who are questioning their alcohol intake. Um, Next, this weekend, we've got an Art in the Park event where we're all going to paint flower pots. And we usually have a speaker. I try and organize somebody who's... The last speaker we had was a lady from AA who's been sober for 30 years. Um, and then we had a therapist come in. We've got all sorts of people coming just to do a 15-minute talk while the ladies are, are drawing or painting or just sitting chatting. I found yeah. that the women, being a women-only group, they're much more open. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of history with alcohol with everybody, no matter where you are on that vast alcoholism spectrum. Um, and sometimes being women solely women in the group i think it definitely helped with us being a bit more open and there's definitely more of a kind of tribal feel to it which which is helping a lot of people so yeah that's on on the facebook page and my website is drunkmummysobermummy.com where you can see the blog and all the all the other stuff oh that's great vic so i'll definitely put that in the show notes so where exactly on the sunshine coast are you if someone in that area wanted to reach out or if someone's traveling up that way for a weekend if they wanted to come and join I'm in Majimba, so not far from Sunshine Coast Airport. Okay. Well, that's great. So if people are in that area, they can um, contact you. But So we'll probably wrap up shortly. Um, but just briefly, how has sobriety helped you, particularly motherhood? For me, it's – I was talking to a friend about this the other day. For me, it's, you know, it's all about my kids and about my kids having a, an available parent. And I want to be, be a good mum. I mean, everybody wants to be a good mum. And me hiding in my bedroom with a hangover every Sunday, it wasn't well, – I didn't feel like a good mum, which is what led to all those, you know, all those questions and all that anxiety. And I, and I think – I was saying this to my friend. It, it definitely all comes back down to love. It comes back to self-love and it comes back to love – for the people around you. And I think when, I, when you're hiding in the bedroom, my children weren't feeling love when I'm doing that. Mm. And for me, I think it's really important for me to be there for them. I, I'm going to be honest and say I'm not a brilliant mum. Like, I, I fuck up all the time. <laughs> I am shit with paleo snacks. I mean, they're eating <laughs> a pie out of a bag when all the other kids are having kale sandwiches. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am not a brilliant mum. I probably shout too much. I, I'm not... I'm, sobriety hasn't made me a perfect mum. It's just made me an available one. And it's made... Let, they, they know that they are loved by me. And that's all I can, that's all I can do. I'm still learning so many things on different days and some days I work and some days I don't and some days I'm crying to sleep you know in my pillow but I'm available and that's what sobriety has done for me it's made me available for my children which in turn makes them feel love from me which which for me is the most important thing and for my husband as well you know he could see me in those anxiety in those in those kind of mental, in that mental turmoil, he got to witness that. And now he doesn't have to, he was worried about me. He was, he was, I could see concern in his eyes when he'd hand me the paracetamol. It was, it was awful. So for him, it's much better to see me happier. I'm, I'm generally happier. I'm a happier person and I don't have anxiety anymore. And that's huge. Mm, that's amazing. Did, uh, did he quit drinking as well or 
was no he still has he he's one of those people i mean you read the someone that can drink or someone that can't and he's one of those people that can have a couple of beers he never drinks more than two beers you know it doesn't bother me he never gets drunk he's just one of those person who can enjoy a, an occasional beer so it's never been an issue for him he never suffered any negative repercussions from drinking so it, he's never had to stop what's with those people <laughs> hate them all me too. I really hate them with a serious passion. <laughs> I know. I wish, I've always wished, I still wish I could be one. But people say to me now, like, Don't, can you just have one? I'm like, no, that is the point. Like, I yeah. cannot have one. I get yeah. all excited. Then I'm like looking around for what's next. And then my total brain has gone into booze mode because I'm all yes. excited by it. And it's, it's not just a small decision for me. It's like, right, let's get this party started. Oh, my God. I know. I'm totally the, I was totally the same, you know. And I've thought for years, decades, that I was going to become that person, that I'll just have – I'm just a two-drink person now. What a load of shit because as soon as I did have those two drinks, I'm like, right, let's go. Or, you know, what do you mean you've only got – one bottle between, you know, the two of us or one bottle each. Let's go to the bottle shop. Let's get more. And, yeah, unfortunately, I would just get the can't stops. I cannot stop when I start drinking. So, yeah, that's that I had to stop. I'd be scrambling around, you know, finding ancient bottles of port that had been around for 80 years and topping them up with water. <laughs> like, I would find the booze. If you had the booze, I would find it. But yep. I, it's funny how you look back and think, God, what was I doing? <laughs> I what was I doing scrambling around in someone's sink on my hands and knees, like trying to find booze, like how <laughs> desperate I was for booze. Like seriously, it took me a long time questioning whether I had a problem or not. But looking at that now, seriously, I'm, I was mad for it. <laughs> yes, I totally I was, get I you. Stop! I couldn't stop. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So looking back, if you could go back to that, girl on the beach in thailand who was about to blow her finger off if you could give her any advice what would it be oh calm calm down you're you're worthy i think mm. you are worthy of just being who you are and i know i'm still struggling with that now and i still need to tell myself that now on occasion but you are i, I think i thought i belonged to the crowd whereas actually i'd lost my individuality through drinking and i would say to her just just calm down, step off the merry-go-round and relax because you don't need to do this yourself anymore. No one's going to like you more. And in fact, people are going to look at you and think, but what is that girl doing? Like she is off the rails. I think people probably thought that more than, wow, isn't she cool? Look how drunk she is. I probably didn't happen very often. Mm. So I think, yeah, just calm, calm yourself mm. and slow down and realize that you are enough. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Have you read Louise Hay's book, You Can Heal Your Life? Yes. Yeah, it's so old school, but it's like my Bible. It is old school. It is very old-fashioned. But if you read that, everything you take from it is so clear. Oh, absolutely. And there's... I mean, some parts of it I'm not so into, like at the end where if you've hurt your back, it means that you're angry at your mother or something like that. That stuff at the end I wasn't into, but the the first half of the book is amazing. And there's the daily affirmations, which I love, which she talks about, 
you know, how to speak to yourself and having this mantra of I approve of myself, which is really amazing. So every day in my journal, I'm still putting that in my journal. I approve of myself. And she says to say it, especially initially, hundreds of times a day, like every opportunity you get. So you stick that everywhere all over your house on post-it notes. So in your fridge, on the shower, on the bathroom mirror, in the freezer, in the car, like get it everywhere. So you're constantly saying that to yourself. I approve of myself. And it's a reminder to keep saying it. And it can be a really helpful tool if you're feeling unworthy or if you are a people pleaser. Um, I found it super valuable for me. Yeah, it sounds silly, doesn't it? But I think it's something everybody has to has to learn throughout their lives. And drinking numbs that. So drinking numbs that entire feeling of getting to know yourself. So for years of numbing yourself, it's like you then have to separate start to learn how to separate those two people and then get to know the new, the new sort of sprightlier version, which is definitely another journey in itself. And, and writing for me is, is definitely my outlet. I'm thoroughly enjoying my brain being unpickled and being able to express myself onto paper. It's really been my, my, my own therapy. So hopefully I can continue doing that. Oh, absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed your article, which I will post in the show notes, the one that you did for Hello Sunday Morning. And I'm so looking forward to reading your book when you get that published. And also your podcast, which you've got coming out soon, which will be called 1000 Wasted Sundays. Yep. Amazing. It's the same name as my book, yeah. Okay, great. Well, we'll definitely keep people posted on that and the progress of that. So I just, yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time, Victoria, and sharing your story with us on the podcast. And um, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a brilliant chat. Thanks. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.